0: I was like Mr. Morris you know I, I do a big fan I don't even know what I said but I, sh- I sucked I suck my hand out there like to shake his hand uh, <laughs> and he, he was he Im- immediately was like oh, recoiled yeah. it was an embarrassing moment but I don't know if he heard who I said I was or if he cared or what, you know <laughs> trying to get away from this cycle do you work here young man? trying to shake his hand <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> uh, this segment of DoD TV is brought to you by Ram trucks guts glory Ram.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drew Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, episode number 160. And this week bow fishing blitz
0: you know it's interesting we're 160 episodes in this is our first one on bow fishing and i have nothing to add (laughs) so (laughs) So matt will sit quietly over on his side of the
1: studio that's right
0: you know the best i could do i wore a hook fishing shirt yeah yeah you're ready for it (laughs) and i got the hook shoes on so you know
1: so i'm not going to get into it too much but usually when when i go bow fishing i get gnarly it's a messy messy sport I'd like
0: to see what gnarly means for you because you're pretty straight laced guy, mm-hmm. P- pretty vanilla. So
1: let's just say at least one cutoff sleeve is in effect. OK, maybe two cutoff sleeves So it
0: could also be considered <laughs> hoosiery
1: or suggestive.
0: OK, so, you know, since I had nothing to add to this podcast, we thought we would bring somebody else into it that has tons of information.
1: Yeah, so we've got uh, Cabela's Best Pro's very own J.P. Morris. J.P., thanks for hopping on.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. This is a fun topic for me. I love bow fishing, so it'll be fun to chat with you guys about it.
0: Yeah, basically, if you follow J.P.'s Instagram account, you'll realize the guy's killing giant fish. Bow fishing all over, you know the country all over the world, frankly. So it's a if you want to understand a little bit more about the topic, just follow JP's Instagram account
1: so let's let's start from ground zero here because I think there are probably a fair number of people in Matt's boat that, have been bow hunting for a long time, but maybe never taken the step to hit the water with their bow.
0: Yeah, sure. For, before we jump into it, I got a quick story I wanted to share, though, and it's, okay. it's related to JP, and I was texting him about it, so it's, it's, it's kind of comical. So... I visited uh, Big Cedar Lodge and all the different properties for the first time over the Memorial Day weekend Uh and took my family and and had a great time. And I mean, it was just unbelievable, all the sights and and all the different things you can do. And so one evening we hit up uh, top of the rock, which the sunset there is I've seen I've always seen pictures of the sunset at top of the rock. They called, I think, the sunset celebration. And so I thought, OK, everybody told me you got to do that. Mm-hmm. So this was the first day we got there. So we had traveled all day long. The kids were you know, they had <laughs> in a long rare day, form, I'm to, sure, yeah, to say the least. So about I don't know, I think the sunset was like eight. Twenty uh-huh. And so about 7.45, we got there. So we were there probably 20 minutes too early for my kids to behave. that good timing for so kids. people are having their dinners at this beautiful restaurant. I mean, it's a beautiful night. It's going to be a great sunset. And my kids are my, – my daughter, Lola, is just a maniac. And so, I mean, this is like – this in of itself is like I'm trying to wrangle them. It's stressful. Uh, yeah, it's stressful. And Randa didn't want to go up there that mm-hmm. night because she knew the kids – like we were at the end of there that they were uh-huh. running on E. Yeah. So we go up. I basically forced everybody. I was like, this is gonna be awesome. I heard they shoot <laughs> like a Clark cannon. Griswold like, here. Yeah, like we gotta do this. <laughs> so we go up there and we're, you know, it's it's awesome. I'm trying to, you know, document it and experience it and do all this stuff. And that this guy starts play, pay, playing the bagpipes. That's part of the celebration. Okay. My daughter, Lola goes up right in front of him and just stares at him <laughs> like five feet from him. Nobody's no even personal close to this guy. Space. So he's looking at her. I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm wanting to pull her out of there. You know? So this is all leading up to the, the best part of the story. So we witnessed the sunset celebration, the bagpipes. It was awesome. They blow this cannon, which was, Freaking cool, all by itself. I mean, it was it was really awesome. The whole experience. Uh-huh. Kids did all right, but it was time to leave. So we're getting ready to leave, and uh, we go out the door. And, and mind you, this is like people are just starting to get comfortable again from the stay at home and sure, the pandemic's still obviously an issue. Not supposed to be shaking people's hands or you know anything like that. So I I'm walking out the door. I you know the family's with me. And who is it, but Mr. Johnny Morris, he opens the door for me. He and his wife are coming in to the restaurant and I'm leaving. He opens the door. I've met a ton of people over, you know, the 38 years I've lived in this sure. world and, or 39. I forgot how old I was. <laughs> and I was like starstruck. I've never met him before. And I was like. I just got excited about, I just couldn't believe I was seeing this guy as I was at his place and I totally fangirled out on it. (laughs) I was like, Mr. Morris, you know, I'm I don't such even, a big fan. I don't even know what I said, but I sh- I sucked my hand out there, like to shake his hand. Uh, and he, he was, he Im- immediately was like, oh. Recoiled. He was like, nice to meet you, you know, and he did kind of one of these, like, you know, like, uh, security. <laughs> yeah, was, and your
1: wife's just thinking, I oh, married such a sophisticated yeah, man.
0: Yeah, it was an embarrassing moment, but I, I was just genuinely, like, shocked to see that, see that he was there, and he was opening the door for us, and he was so nice. He's like, you have a beautiful family, and he and he kept walking in. I don't know if he... Heard who I said I was, or if he cared, or, or what, you know, <laughs> trying to get away from this cycle. Do you work here, young man? Trying to shake his hand <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> but
2: it hey, it's all good. There's nothing wrong with a good old handshake. So He's I, trying to be hip going with the elbow bumps.
0: Yeah. So I, te- I texted JP after I was like, uh, I-, I just met your dad for the first time. <laughs> I'm sure I left a great impression.
1: <laughs> I feel uncomfortable right now.
0: It was, but it was funny. I walked out of there and Miranda was shaking her. Head she's like you're an idiot (laughs)
1: like (laughs) that was embarrassing yeah jp did you hear the other side of that
2: no no i didn't hear the other side of it uh you know he hadn't been he started off not being too worried about the pandemic and then uh, my little sister had a baby recently on mother's day morning and so she's been real strict to my dad can't be around anybody if you want to be around the baby so sure he's been taking it more careful so (laughs) And this jerk, take a Matt. Of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. it was, it was, you know, he he handled it well. I fumbled it, and it was funny. It was a funny moment, so I thought we'd share that one on the air for everybody to join in, in my embarrassment.
1: How not to meet people with your <laughs> host, Matt Drew. That's right. So
0: it was comical. He was nice as could be, but uh, I was just in awe. I mean, the place is unbelievable. I have yeah. you ever been down
1: there? No, I've seen pictures, but never been.
0: It's crazy. It's it's crazy. I mean, around every turn is a site everything like he's done to make it seem real natural uh-huh. and and like it's been untouched and over at dogwood canyon and the cave and nature trail tour over at top of the rock and big cedar itself on mountain like it was unreal e- everywhere you went it was unreal so
1: sounds like me and the wife will have to go and maybe leave the kids at home so i can- <laughs> would
0: suggest that so you can enjoy yourself <laughs> yes. enjoy that celebration <laughs> at the top of the no rock kidding. no
1: kid no kid so, well, it's, it's it's summertime and, uh, and I know a lot of guys are getting the itch to go out and hit the water, bow fishing. I know we've never covered the subject before. And JP, I can't think of anyone that's done more for the sport of bow fishing than you have. I think you've brought a lot of legitimacy and organization and kind of just raised it up a couple levels. But I'm curious, how did you get started bow
2: fishing? Well, you know, just like you said earlier, uh, I was a bow hunter. I love bow hunting deer, Uh, basically anything I could bow hunt. I was chasing with my bow. And uh, I met a buddy, a guy a couple years older than me over in Kansas when I was deer hunting one year. And he goes, you got to come over. He was from Oklahoma and you got to come bow fishing with me. So I went over to Grand Lake in uh, Northeast Oklahoma, met up with my buddy Scott and we spent two nights out bow fishing and I just got hooked. It was so fun. It's just a way to take your bow out, uh, you know, when it's not hunting season, and and get to shoot, hone your skills, build up your muscles, and more importantly, just have a lot of fun with your, you know, family and friends. Yeah, hundred percent. The best thing. Sorry, I was going to say the best part was too. I went for two nights. I got so hooked on it. First thing I did when I came back was called the guys over at Tracker, and I said you guys got to build me a boat for this. So I got pretty hooked pretty, pretty quickly.
0: Well, that's, that's an interesting aspect in and of itself. Like I've seen some people, you know, just following accounts on social media where they're like building their own little rigs for, for Mm -hmm. specifically for bow fishing. And, you know, I'm I'm talking like they got a boat and they're building platforms on it and lights. And, you know, mom and dad have a place down like those arcs. And we see a lot of that, come through our cove you know in the middle of the night where it looks like an alien stars on the water (laughs) freaking alien spaceship is on the water i mean it's lit up like a christmas tree but is that something that then you guys our tracker has has gotten into that and and built boats specifically for this
2: yeah so i started hosting uh i went to the world championships in like 2008 when I was in college and uh, me and a buddy shot in it it was really cool because I got to meet all these boat fishermen from around the country that were really serious. And I got to, you know, learn a lot of stuff from these guys and it got me really excited that I wanted to host my own tournament. And so in 2013, I started the U S open boat fishing championship and uh, it was a huge success. We had like 127 uh, teams of four guys show up the first year. And, uh, it really, showed me hey there's a lot of interest in this sport mm-hmm. uh and we need to capitalize on this and so i worked with the guys from tracker and we started building uh an 18 and a 20 foot bow fishing boat we we're really the first company to make a turnkey just ready to go boat and uh they've been real successful we've gotten a lot of people you know out of the water with their first boat fishing boat.
1: it's pretty cool so uh, I felt for, I started bow fishing in the nineties with my old bear whitetail two compound bow. It was dialed down to like 40 pounds. And I scraped up cause I was in, I was in high school, I think when my buddies and I started and I bought a fiberglass, I think it was made by Muzzy, a fiberglass arrow. I didn't have enough money to buy the reel. So I would go bow fishing on the flooded plain of like the playing fields of my high school, like the, the softball field, the soccer field. And I would shoot fish and then go chase them down <laughs> to, to retrieve them. Cause I just didn't <laughs> now have that's redneck it really is the <laughs> first, the first carp I shot, i had shot all morning. I'd never, I hadn't. Cause in my experience of bow fishing, you just miss a lot. Like that's one of the major principles of bow fishing is different than bow hunting because you're shooting like maybe one time when you go out bow hunting. When you're bow fishing, you're doing a lot of shooting. But I'd been shooting all morning, missing, missing, missing. I was walking back to my vehicle. I walked up onto the pitcher's mound of the girls' softball field. And, and there was probably a foot of water on the field at the time and, and approaching second base, this common carp, you know, maybe about that big was, was approaching. And I just like, I'm just going to fling one at it. And it hit and I I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, like a poof of blood underwater. I couldn't believe I'd hit that, that fish from so far away. That was my first bow fishing kill ever. Did you freeze up? Kind of like
0: you just met Johnny Morris
1: or something? Not not that bad, not Johnny Morris bad, but, but it it, it was cool. And, And then you start having success, but I, I've always felt like, Bow fishing has been on the periphery of the hunting world. Like it's 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 needed some legitimacy. It's kind of considered maybe a redneck or hillbilly kind of thing to do. But it it seems and and it, it seems like it's coming more into the forefront and more legitimized.
2: You know, I can tell you guys when I first started. You know, I got that first boat, uh, and I would be out on the water, and I went all year without seeing another bow fishing boat at night. Mm. And you know now it's not uncommon for me to go out and see several other boats out uh, bow fishing. So the sport has grown a ton and it's gaining a lot of interest. You know, people see it on social media. People have more awareness for just what is bow fishing than they used to. And I think what's really cool is, you know, it's definitely a redneck sport. Uh, you see a lot of like homemade bow fishing rigs and, you know, you think you a bigger bur- burly guy with tattoos and no sleeves on out there shooting cart. But I've taken a lot of different people, and honestly, I can say at the end of the night, pretty much everybody I've ever taken has ended up loving the sport, having a blast. You, know, you get to go out and shoot at fish. You do a lot of missing, especially like Table Rock down there by Big Cedar where you just were, Matt. The water can be really clear mm-hmm. and you have to aim way low below the fish because of refraction. So usually when I take people out, they spend all night missing fish and watching fish in the lights uh, until they finally hit one or two and figure out, you know, we got to aim way low below them to to actually hit them. So
0: how low do you you usually have to aim? Mm -hmm. Is it like a foot low or what are we talking? So
2: it just, it changes, you know, if the water's clear and you can see a fish that's, you know, three or four feet down, you have to aim way below. I mean, I'm a foot and a half, sometimes two feet below the bottom of the fish. Now, if the fish is right on the surface or if the shot's straight down off the boat, you can aim just right at their belly or just, you know, right at them sometimes. So it changes throughout the night. And if you go from clear water where they've been three foot deep and you get in some muddy water where they're only a foot deep, you'll start shooting under. them. So a lot of it's trying to adjust on the fly. Um, my first bow, I put a single pin on and I was deadly with it because I had a point of reference, you know, for where I was aiming every time I drew back. But I quickly learned as I was around other bow fishermen and bow fish guys are more experienced that sometimes speed is more important. And so uh, now I shoot instinctive, no sights or anything. You just draw back with your fingers, look at the target and let it fly.
1: And and it's incredible (laughs) how good you can become. I've got a buddy that he'll hit, he'll hit a tiny gar at almost 15 yards, which is a really long shot in bow fishing, but he can't hit a deer. He freezes up and just <laughs> <laughs> flings an arrow over a deer's back. It's a totally different world. But, uh, but yeah, the instinctive shooting is something that's a little different. JP, if someone wants to get started bow fishing, how do you normally <laughs> put them on that path?
2: So, you know, the first time I ever actually bow fished was off the bank before I went with my buddy. That was just the first time I'd been at night. That's how most people start. Most people take uh, an old deer hunting bow, or they buy a cheap bow at a garage sale, or from a pawn shop, or wherever. Or you can go buy packages. You know, if you want to spend four hundred dollars, you can go to Bass or Cabela's and get a bow that's ready to go with a reel and everything. Or you can just take an old bow and go and buy a reel and a reel seat and a couple arrows and get started. Um, the best time of year really to get started is is right now. You know, coming out of springtime, early summer a lot of these carp and gar are spawning and that means they're going to be up in the grass. They're going to be right on the surface. And a lot of times, like you were talking about at your high school, uh, when the floodwaters come out, that is when it drives these fish to go spawn. So you can actually get out there and wade around just in shorts and some, some of your hook water shoes you got, Matt, (laughs) and, uh, just get hooked on it starting there.
1: And the the bow aspect is actually kind of a, a nice thing because like you're saying, JP, you can buy a used bow at a garage sale. In fact, you probably don't want to have something super, super nice because it's going to get muddy. It's going to get banged around in the boat or on the bank. And so uh, so you can get away with something that maybe is, is a little less pricey than your whitetail rig.
0: So if you, you know. I have a farm that's on the Mississippi river and it's always flooded over there it's in the Mississippi. yeah, river. It is the Mississippi river a lot of times, <laughs> uh, but it, you know, so those types of floodwaters where it's just, you can't see anything. Are they close to the top or like, how the hell do you see the fish?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you that think about it, just like deer, you know, if you put up like a hot zone fence around, you know, some beans or corn and you save that back all year, and then all of a sudden you pull the fence down, those deer within a couple of days are going to be in there feeding pretty heavily usually. And it's the same thing. Like I've seen the trail cam picture that you posted Drury's Instagram with the buffalo that was jumping out of the water and you got on camera. Yeah,
0: that's but, the farm by the way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep. When it first starts to flood, if you go find those grass fields, those open areas, it's exposing new vegetation, uh, bugs, worms, all kinds of stuff, or they can be going up there to spawn. And so if you catch those early days of the flood, you'd have no problem finding carp there. And usually once it gets in the grass, even muddy water like comes off the Missouri River or the Mississippi River will actually clear up in that grass enough that you can see to shoot. Mm-hmm.
1: And it is, you do have to pay attention to what you're shooting at because sometimes that murky water, you see movement or you may see part of a fin, but you want to make sure that you're positively identifying the fish because like in Missouri, you can't shoot catfish. And sometimes you'll find cats in some of the same places you'll find the rough fish that you are able to shoot. And that's probably, probably not a bad thing for people to know about. The rules vary state to state by what's uh what's legal to shoot uh in some states you can shoot catfish and others you can't
0: So, wonder why you can't in missouri
1: i think catfish jp you may know i think catfish are considered a game fish in missouri and so you're not really allowed to shoot game fish hmm. in missouri
2: yep that's exactly the reason so uh they are considered game fish and right now in missouri the rules state we can only harvest non-game fish with a with archery tackle um but, and that brings up a good point. But one great thing about bow fishing is that you have to be able to see the fish, you know, to shoot them. And so unlike, you know, snagging for a spoonbill where you might accidentally snag another variety of fish, you have to visually confirm what species of fish it is before you shoot. Um, you know, another fun thing about bow fishing and an interesting thing is the conservation aspect of it. And there are some native fish that we're lucky to chase, like, you know, gar and buffalo. But there's also a lot of uh, non-native fish, like the common carp and then uh, the grass carp. And then what's become really popular and really uh, well-known in the last few years is the spread of the silver carp Mm -hmm. and big head carp, which are uh, Asian carp is another kind of sling term for them. And they have moved into all of our rivers, the Missouri, the Mississippi, the Illinois River, spreading all across our country. And they've become very famous for jumping out of the water. And it's really hurt recreational fisheries. It's hurt recreational boating because people are being injured by these giant 20 to 30 pound fish jumping out of the water and hitting them while they're boating. And so this has been kind of a new focus area for bow fishermen. Is There's these booming populations of fish and nobody likes them. Nobody wants them. And so in a lot of areas... You know the fishermen are loving that we're out there. You know targeting these these fish.
1: Yeah, which brings up an interesting question, JP. When you guys wrap up a bow fishing tournament, what kind of poundage are we talking about of these invasive species are pulled out of the river or or the lake?
2: It depends a lot on the conditions. You know, just like deer hunting, people seem to think with bow fishing, oh, you just go out there every night and you see tons of fish, and you know you just fill your boat up. And while we're lucky to have a night or two like that a year, you know, more likely, uh, more often than not, it's kind of like deer hunting. You know, you have to have the right water level, the right weather conditions. You got to know what part of the lake to go find them on that time of year. So it can be tough. And depending on the weather, uh, during our tournament, we've had years that we've only killed 20,000 pounds of fish. And we've had years that we've killed, you know, upwards of 60,000 pounds of these rough fish. Uh, we always partner with, um, a group that makes organic fertilizer and they send refrigerated, uh, semi trucks down and we load them full of fish. They take them to Illinois and they make these, uh, uh, organic, uh, fertilizers for use on farms, uh, with that fish as a base. There's also some tournaments I know of that have partnerships with uh, turtle farms and, uh, some other stuff like that where they can take fish and dispose of them and farmers are happy to utilize them you know to feed their their animals so
0: that's cool
1: some animal rescues i know will take like we were talking with a, a local animal rescue and they were talking about setting up a refrigerator outside their their place because usually we're finishing up at some ungodly hour of the night uh, so we could just drop off our fish there because they they have turtles they have cats and they were just going to cut up the fish and use them to, so it's nice it's nice to do something constructive with that resource because it is a resource it is a biomass that you're pulling out of an ecosystem which has an impact so it's nice to find something constructive and that's there's there's a point of there's there's a point of friction in the bow fishing world where there are some people who are just not conscientious about what they do with their fish after they shoot um and uh, and so sometimes bow fishermen are, are getting a bad reputation because of how we leave the environment after we're done in an area jp do you want to talk any anything about that
2: Yeah, I think what you would find is that a lot of uh, the experienced bow fishermen out there, a lot of people that have been around the sport or that help volunteer with like an organization like the Bow Fishing Association of America, you know, we're trying to spread awareness on what are the positive things you can do with fish after you harvest it. A few bad eggs, unfortunately, give us a bad name. uh, But usually, you know, it's like a young kid that goes out and they haven't done much bow fishing and they honestly don't really know. That they're doing something wrong, or they don't know what to do with the fish, and so we've tried to spread a lot of awareness about this. Um, you know, another really cool thing too is that some of these fish are actually really good eating. Mm. And so, at my tournament in the past, I've had Missouri Department of Conservation come. Uh, they partnered with a professor from uh, the University of Missouri that has come up with all kinds of recipes and ways to use, you know, ways to utilize these silver carp. Uh, big head carp are great. Grass carp are good eating. Gars is good eating. Buffalo ribs are good eating. And so some of these fish also uh, can be great table fare. Uh, some of them like common carp are not very good, but, um, you know, some of these fish are great eating. And uh, there's some cool, easy to do recipes. And uh, sometimes, you know, you get more fish than you can eat, but it's still a great way to utilize repeat the family
1: anything you can deep fry <laughs> you're all in oh yeah <laughs> i'm in <laughs> yeah i i've had silver i mean we we typically don't eat the fish that that we kill we're killing them out of a river that when it floods it has like old refrigerators floating down it so yeah. i just opt yeah. not to uh, but uh, it's no uh, so table rock lake <laughs> right exactly <laughs> but but I, I have had deep fried silver and uh, and gra- in fact uh, one of the grass carp i killed was a, was a big one it was almost 60 pounds i filleted it and then it cut it into almost like steaks and brined it and then smoked it and it tasted like ham. It was, it was delicious, but it came from clean water. So it was, it was good. And and kind of back to the earlier point though, if you are bow fishing, be responsible with your harvest because we, we we get a bad reputation by people who just leave dead fish on the bank or dump a bucket full of fish in the river. Then you got a slick of dead fish floating down. It's not a lot of people, but it's enough to where every now and again at the boat ramp, I'll have I'll have like the the boat ramp person say, make sure you don't leave your fish here. So, you know that it's happened to them before and it's it's wasteful. It, it's, it doesn't bode well for us as outdoorsmen that we would waste a resource like that. So do be responsible with your dead fish. Good point.
2: Yeah, definitely. Having a plan before you even ever go to the water on what you're going to do with your fish is always a good plan. And I've also had a lot of fishermen too, you know, uh, fishing, you know, on the Missouri River, catfishing is really popular. Some of our other uh, lakes around the state. And so I've actually given quite a few away to other fishermen as well that wanted to make cut bait out of them, you know, to go catfishing.
1: Heck yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about different species and maybe some of your favorite tactics, the kind of heads that you choose to use for your arrows and some of some of those specifics.
2: Okay, great. Well, like I said, you know, if you think about the year kind of like calendar year, I usually don't get started until, you know, if we catch a really warm day sometimes in February, I'll start to get excited, you know, hey, all the hunting seasons are past, duck seasons past, I'm ready to do something outside. And early in the year, you'll start to see you know, the fish are just starting to move up. So if you catch a few warm days in a row, these fish have been down deep, hunkered down all winter. You start getting those first few days of warm weather and you'll see the fish start to move up, particularly at night, because I think as it begins to cool off after dark, these fish are going up shallow where the sun's been shining all day Mm -hmm. on mud flats or on rocks and they're hanging out there trying to stay warm. Uh, Then as you go through the year, you know, you come into like the springtime and you'll start to see these fish spawning. This is like the rut for bow fishermen. And you want to look for rising water temperature. Usually it has to be in the mid 60s for carp and buffalo to go spawn. And the big kicker is rising water. So if you get the temperature in the mid 60s and then you see the water level start to rise, you know, a foot or a couple of feet in the area where you're going, be ready. Because that is a recipe for them to start spawning. Um, then, you know, the early spring is great during the daytime to, to go bow fishing, uh, uh, because the fish are up shallow, they're feeding up there. As you get more into the summertime, you know, and it gets really hot, the fish are only going to be up at night because the water, you know, gets to be like bath water. It'll be 85, 90 degrees sometimes in some of these reservoirs and the fish are hunkered down deep all day long. And at night they'll come up to feed. And so, um, Throughout the year, you just have to kind of change your tactics. And I'd say the number one key to success if you're bow fishing is covering water. You know, you can ask people around you for tips on what bodies of water have a lot of carp or where they see them there. But more so than anything else is you go cover a lot of water until you start seeing fish and then you look for more of that same habitat type. So whether they're flooded grass or rocky points or in the back of coves, once you get them on a pattern, just look for more water like that. And uh, that's usually a pretty good key for success. And
1: be ready to defend yourself against the silver carp because they will attack. Yeah. You see those videos on YouTube.
0: People are wearing like football helmets, and, Yeah, <laughs> you know, just getting knocked silly.
1: Uh, yeah. You I mean, know,
2: those silver carp are really fun to go chase because it's a tough target to hit a fish is jumping out of the water, but I'm there to vouch, you know, it's all fun and games till you get smoked right in the chest with about a 30 pound silver going, yeah. you know, 10 or 12 miles an hour down the lake. It'll, uh, it'll hurt.
1: yeah my, my buddy is no he's the magnet for silver carp he's been hitting the jaw just just kind of trolling along jumping out of the he's got he's been hitting the jaw and then a couple years ago he had one while he was driving the boat land in his lap and then just start like that on his crotch (laughs) <laughs> nice He's terrified maybe He's, i will go fishing right come on along that's <laughs> big fun wear a cup <laughs> but you just, but like especially if you're motoring along that the cavitation of the outboard they just something in them it's their it's their flight response and they launch into the water and it's a really cool feeling though when you connect on you, i've missed a ton of them every now and again you connect and it's a cool
2: feeling it is It's a really cool feeling, and you better hang on because you're moving down the river, and they are strong fish.
1: No doubt, no doubt. So let's talk about strong fish, your biggest. I know you you killed a huge buffalo a few years back.:
2: Yeah, so um, you know, I've been lucky to get several really giant fish over the years, and uh, my biggest ever was actually down in Texas on the Trinity River uh, years ago. Uh, me and my dad went down there, I took him bow fishing. And he's been with me a few times. He enjoys it. He loves watching the fish. A lot of times, he just wants to drive and let us shoot. But uh, I drug him down there to South Texas for uh, two days. It was about 105 degrees, humid as could be. I mean, just dead, dead calm. And it's like a needle in a haystack. I mean, we're out there for two days, and an alligator gar would roll, you know, 40 yards over there, and then 30 minutes later, another one would roll 20 yards over to the right. But if you're not ready, Good luck. And I remember about halfway through the second day, I just got lucky. I was looking down in the water. I saw shadows start to come up. I drew back, and and luckily, I made literally the only shot opportunity I had while we were down there. And um we ended up getting this giant alligator door. In fact, I'm gonna take you over here and show it to you. Please do. It was uh, eight eight foot four. Holy cats! It bottomed out <laughs> a uh, 250 pound scale that we had. Holy cow! Jeez. So. That was an unbelievable fish, and uh Texas has made some regulation changes since uh they've limited archers to one alligator gar per day, which I think is a great you know thing yeah. to do because these yeah. are long lived fish and and now it's becoming a trophy fishery that you know bow fishermen can participate in but uh you know chasing a giant fish like that is definitely a lot of fun, and it's no different really than you know you think about mark chasing that two hundred inch. You know, giant whitetail, that's the eight-foot alligator gar for a lot of boat fish. I think
0: a few years ago, Blake Shelby killed a giant one. Might be the record holder down in Louisiana,
2: isn't it? Yeah, I, it, yeah he sure did. He killed a 215-pounder down there near his home. I think he lives near Monroe, Louisiana. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, it was like behind his house yeah. in the swamp area. And he's, scared. <laughs> he's scared to be around his house. <laughs> you know, each, each fish, each, each species seems to have their own type of awareness and some, and it depends on the time of year as to how wary they are. What, what is an alligator gars sensibilities like? Are they, are they real spooky fish?
2: You know, it depends on the conditions a lot. There's one time of year that uh, they're more vulnerable to bow fishing. uh, And that is in the spring, if they get huge floods because the Trinity river and a lot of rivers they're in are very muddy. And so it can make it very hard to bowfish these uh, fish until it floods into fields and gets really clear. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you catch it during the right time of year, yeah, you can have an opportunity to see a lot of different gar. Uh and if they're spawning, you know, they're they're focused on other things, but still that's why we have a limit, you know, on that species. Yeah. And uh for the majority of the year, it's a really tough, tough thing to do, especially for a trophy fish like that. Uh, there's a lot of you know, four and five foot gar you know, 50 to 75, 80 pound fish, which is a giant fish. And there's a lot of them. Oh yeah. Uh, But you know, it definitely takes a a while to get those fish to that next class up to that seven or eight.
1: And what kind of head are you using?
2: So it changes a lot by species of fish. Um, I shoot primarily, you know, muzzy arrows and they have a couple of different tips. Uh, There's the normal muzzy uh, carp point, they call it. Mm -hmm. This is pretty much what everybody started with or is, you know, used to seeing it's two barbs and, it's great for a, a fish like alligator gar because you need to get penetration. Their scales can be extremely tough, but once you penetrate past those scales, uh, you've pretty much got them. The arrow's not gonna pull out. You know, you might break a line or they might get you wrapped in a tree, but the arrow's not gonna pull out. Uh, but if I'm going after a fish like grass carp in the summertime, a fish that's very powerful and they seem to get soft when the water gets really warm, mm-hmm. you know, you wanna go with like uh, an iron barb. It's more like a three blade or a three barb. It has a lot of holding power, so that way you make sure that on a big soft fish like that, your arrow doesn't fly. Sure, there,
1: there's a lot of nuance to bow fishing. I think people are becoming more and more aware of that, and, and and as they are, the 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 industry is responding with more and more products. I mean, gosh, in the past ten years alone, it just seems like there's so much more available to bow fishermen now than there has ever been.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, the sport is growing like crazy and you know, I'm seeing it, uh, at my tournament, uh, we had to cancel it this year, unfortunately due to COVID, but, uh, we were set up to have a record turnout, well over a thousand anglers showing up to compete. And that just shows you across the country, how this sport is growing and the popularity of it. Um, and I think you'll continue to see it grow because there is a huge resource out there of fish that people can go have fun and target. You know, I think about guys that sometimes go bass fish on Table Rock and they fish hard and they catch two or three little small, you know, 10-inch fish. And then, you know, think about taking guys out bow fishing and and they get several opportunities at 20 to 30 pound fish. And, you know, so it's it's a really fun sport and it's a resource that in most areas is underutilized. These are fish that aren't usually targeted by rod and reel fishermen. And so there's a, an abundance of these, uh, fish and, uh, it's just, you know, can be a lot of fun and very rewarding to guys that go out, you know, take the time to learn new areas and, and try it out.
0: So we've talked a lot about bow fishing, but there's one other thing I, I saw that you were with the Master a few days back and were you guys blow dart fishing?
2: Yeah. So, uh, the Slockmaster, Tim Wells, you know, I used to love his show growing up. He was shooting bumblebees out of the air and all kinds <laughs> of crazy stuff and that's how I was growing up. I mean, if there was something I could go chase with my bow, I was in. It didn't matter if it was squirrels or deer or what. And uh so I loved watching his show and I got introduced to him years ago and he's just a wild man. He's a great hunter. Uh and I had him and some of his family came down uh, to Missouri last weekend and, and we spent some time, we did some bow fishing. We just, you know, went out bass fishing and he has these new blow guns that he is coming out with. He's selling now at his website and they've got guides on there for your line and a real seat on there to hook a spinning reel onto. And he's come up with the uh, barbs for these blow darts and it's a hoot and it's really fun. You know, it, it makes shooting even a four or five pound common carp, a uh, heck of a battle. Whereas with a regular bow, you know, you could pull them right in. So it was pretty fun trying.
0: It, it looked awesome. And it, when he, we've had him on the podcast, it was probably one of my most favorite podcasts. It was wild. Was, the stories he t- he's a great storyteller, uh, as you yeah. know, but, uh, yeah, he he's, it's amazing to see what that man can do. Very instinctual shooting ability. Yeah. So he's a primitive guy. He he is. <laughs> it's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, that's that's something I would love to uh, I would love to try. Although I think you'd want to have like something you could wipe off the the blowgun every now and again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well if this your only tastes, one tastes using like it. Uh, carp. Oh <laughs> uh, maybe I don't slimy, get
1: it. <laughs> Slimy, slimy blowgun. <laughs>
0: mm. You just took it off the rails, Tim.
1: <laughs> that's what I'm known for. <laughs> Well, let's let's do what we can to help one of our listeners. One of our buddies from Georgia called in with a question.
0: Yeah, us. the question of the day is proudly brought to you by Bass Pro Cabela's. Your adventure starts here. Hey, guys. My name is Chad Kerr. I live in a suburb uh, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, around here for the last couple of years, I've primarily hunted public land. Um, and the problem is that they're very high pressure, very crowded, and a very low hunter success. Uh, percentage so next season I was looking to expand into some private property so my question is what are the best ways to seek permission to hunt private property what kind of things are the landowners looking for uh, what can I say that would really appeal to them uh, to increase my chance of success on getting this this uh, uh, opportunity um, is it best to go to the doors knock on doors um, introduce myself and talk to the, the owners? Or should I send a letter? And is there a template available that I can start with? Yeah, it's, thanks, that, Chad. Yeah, it's a great question, and I'll be curious to hear what JP has to say about it. I, I first of all, if he's in Georgia, and he's it, that's where those two guys we had the them on guys. Yeah, the seek one guys. Like, good luck, because those guys seem to they're have locking down yeah, a lot you know, of suburban they property. They got locking down. They're killing giants. <laughs> I was,
2: I was gonna go there if you guys didn't for sure. Those guys are awesome <laughs> and. You know, that goes to show you if you're looking for good places to hunt, uh, sometimes people want to get as far out into the wilderness or out in the woods as they can. And it goes to show you there's some huge deer in some of those urban areas in Georgia.
0: Yeah. So what what approach would you take, you know, say as a landowner, if someone were to contact you, what you know, what would you look for in someone contacting you to say, all right, I trust this person to come hunt on my land?
2: You know, I think uh, something my dad's real big on, you know, he brought up a letter and a handwritten note is something that is, you know, more meaningful than just a quick email or something. But it definitely takes time to earn somebody's trust. Uh, If you can do some projects to help them around their land, to just show them that you care and that you're willing to put more into the land than you're going to take off, that never hurts. But it's become tough today with you know uh, a lot of leases out there. Some landowners are concerned about uh, lawsuits sure. or potential repercussions if someone to get hurt on their property. And so I would just say you know use uh, on maps, use any other resources you can from around the area to reach out to landowners and contact them uh, and just try to show them that you're gonna be respectful of them, their land, and uh, would love the opportunity to hunt. Uh, another great way potentially to gain access or to get your foot in the door is uh, also taking kids hunting. I feel like a lot of times as a landowner, you're more likely to allow some a young person to come enjoy the resource sometimes, and you know it can be a great way for you to show that you'll be a good steward of the land if they do give you permission.
0: That's a great yeah. point. You know, we we had an article that, did you write that or did Cody? Cody Thurston, did. Yeah, yeah. Cody Thurston inside uh, Deercast it called Gaining Access with X. And he had a really interesting approach. He's in the Kansas City area and he sent out like a hundred letters or something crazy, like a massive. Yeah. Yeah. And so he identified the properties with X ahead of time and he got the information And then he mailed all these letters out and he kind of has this guy asked for a template or if there was a template, he's got a template that he put up in the notes and yeah, we'll have it in the show notes so you can go right to it. But it was interesting. He ended up getting, you know, you get a lot of nose like he got a ton of of nose, but. You know, to your point, it it, it was an icebreaker. It's kind of like yeah. I always heard. You know, like, hey, if you want to you know date a pretty girl, you gotta you gotta be willing to hear the word. You know, you know, get a lot of doors sh- shut. Get in out, out of my face. face, you
1: creep. Yeah, a lot of those. <laughs>
0: yeah. So it's kind of the same principle. Like you you cast enough lines, you're gonna catch a fish. And so that was his approach, and he really. Ended up with some great success and friendships out of it, and got several really nice pieces of property right there in the Kansas City.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, really in the city. But yeah, yeah. It,
1: it, he says it's within the city limits, and he's—I mean—he's killed, I don't know how, three or four really good bucks off in the past couple of years.
0: Yeah, so it it can be done, but but just from his experience and the story that he writ—he wrote—it was very much Riding. a yeah. Right it, it was very much a long process that you know he started, you know, and and, and some of those people. He then had to continue on and cultivate the relationship to JP's point. Like it wasn't an overnight thing. So the Seek
1: One guy said that they've asked like multiple times and sometimes people relent and they let him on.
0: Yeah. Like th- but always nice, respectful, but they yeah, just don't keep, wear them out. They keep kind of wearing them down. Yeah. And until yep, they finally say, you know what? Okay, let's try it out. But it seemed like you really want to hunt here. Okay. I would think as a as a landowner, I would be more apt to like if you came and you also like if you were kind of well, you know, clean cut, well mannered, you know, if you actually the first time you meet them, and you, you know, even from a perspective of kind of have your act together with insurance or yeah, you know, maybe there's a some sort of contract that's p- pretty simple, but yet states what you need. Like those are the things that I would be interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, how am I going to be liable for you if you're using a weapon on my? It's a property, big question. You know, yeah. So yeah, no doubt. What, what about you?
1: Uh, I, well, the reason I chose this question at this point in the year is because I think this is the best time to be going out and, and, and having those conversations with people. I think there's just something to be said for someone who's proactive. Like, Hey, I'm not looking to hunt here tomorrow. I'm talking about September, October, but that just kind of shows you're thoughtful and, yeah. and thinking ahead and planful in, in, in those ways. I, you know, you guys have all mentioned great things. The, the other thing that I have, the other thing I have found is that, um, most of my properties have come from friends at church, just you know, being in a community where people have a certain level of trust and knowledge about each other relationships. Yeah. Relationships. And, and they, they know kind of who I am and they, they just, they know that there's a trust level there that they, that they're not opening themselves up to liability. Yeah. So, so that, that's, that's a big one. The other thing is like, if you can start with predator hunting, a lot of times people just want the coyotes or raccoons gone and then maybe ask about Turkey hunting. Cause turkey are, are ugly and no one seems to care about them as much as they do yeah. deer. Dude, everybody's and, like, eh,
0: I like seeing the deer. I feed the deer. Yeah, you know? turkeys,
1: whatever. They're <laughs> weird dinosaur looking things. But, uh, but but then you can kind of scaffold in, into deer hunting. Yeah. But having those conversations now as opposed to putting someone on the spot about, hey, can I come out tomorrow? Big big deal.
0: Yeah, and I think we did an episode. Cody did and Dan did an episode in Bow Madness, I think. Was that last year or the year before? It might have been. I think it was last, last year. year. Uh, yeah, so- and it was
1: all about their city limit. How they got access. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: So you know, say you got uh, my outdoor TV, M O T V, you can see that that content, you know, today. So that 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 would be worth checking out. It was Bo Madness, it was Cody Thurston, uh, something about the city limits, hunting yeah. city limits. Yeah. yeah. So
2: you know, the other thing too that those Seek One guys have done that I think is another way to get your foot in the door is they've just asked people for permission to only run trail cameras and not even Good take point. the step to hunt yet. And that helps them start to build that relationship. And it also kind of helps you to understand you know is there a big deer in the area uh you know how hard do you want to keep working on this relationship to try to get in there there are a lot of deer in the area so i think that's another good little trick that might help some people gain access
0: yeah those guys are really savvy about it they they had a really good way about getting access yeah. i mean it was it was
1: a it was a well thought out approach i i've got a similar situation going but i've asked to for permission to recover deer on the adjacent property with the idea that at some point i will I will kind of scaffold into the conversation about, well, you know, I've recovered a few deer after here. Is it sure. okay if I start hunting over here? Yeah. We'll see well, how that goes.
0: You know, uh, the lease that I hunt here in Missouri, the, the neighboring property is is awesome. And I always see deer filtering off of it. And I've asked, I've asked the, I found the landowner's name on OnX uh-huh. and I went over to his house and knocked on the door and just said, Hey, you know, and this was during shed season, I think. But I just said, Hey, if there's, if you have ever have an interest I would love to speak with you regarding leasing it. I lease the neighboring property and um, you know, and if we ever hit a deer and, and need to come on you, I'll make sure and come contact you first. And he was nice as could be He said, huh. look, the people that lease it now, they've leased it for 20 years. I, you know, I, I really don't have any it's interest. And if you ever shoot a deer, you just go ahead and go over there, And which I still That's wouldn't cool. do. I would still contact the guy, yeah. but, but it was a foot in the door and you never know what might happen at some point.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, Chad, thank you for your question. If you want to leave a question for us to answer on the air, click the link in the show notes because it's there now. Or you can go to drearyoutdoors.com slash podcast, click the send voicemail button, and uh, we'll do our best to get to it. All right. Um, So, JP, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for what you've done for the sport of bow fishing and what you continue to do. It's appreciated. And
0: I got $100 $100 for you if you can get Mark and Terry to go bow fishing.
2: (laughs) All right. I'll take it. I've been, I've been telling them, you know, they have a spot down there at Lake of the Ozarks and uh, it's one of my favorite places to go around Missouri. And so I'm going to get them out there one of these nights and I'm going to get them hooked. that's just what they need is one more hobby. <laughs> that's right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, everyone same say with too- you, buddy, next time you come down to long Creek or to big sea, C- look me up and I'll make sure to take you and the kids out for a couple
0: hours. I would love it. I would love it. And, and, and please extend them. My apologies to your dad. <laughs> trying to Actually, don't mention it. I know I was forgettable. So just let's
1: leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> It never happened. <laughs> it never. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching, for listening. Stay tuned next week for a special scratch and sniff edition of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. Yeah, if that's not a deep tease, I don't know what is. <laughs> you
0: got it, baby. Back now. <laughs> All right. See you. Thank
2: you.